0: Bill Mickelson's picked up six miles an hour of swing speed with his driver. How would you like to do that? Well, Dr. Seychelles McKenzie has some advice for us based on some research he's done. So we'll take a look at that really quickly. And then we'll get into some silly stats that I was pulling out as I was researching an answer for a listener that actually turned out to be pretty fun and I think pretty interesting. Let's tee it up. Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Data Access Golf. Hope all of you are still basking in the glow of Phil's win wrapped up yesterday. Very, A very popular win for sure, so congratulations to Phil. But some cool information coming out today, and I, I'd refer you to golf.com uh, on this article It's right at the top, the kind of, you know, popped up right at the top. Meet the biochemist who is changing golf and can help you gain distance. That's one that's going to gather our attention. Then when you see his name is Dr. Seychelles McKenzie, right? McKenzie, name in golf, right? You have to believe him that way. But um, Dr. McKenzie is also one that works a lot with the body track. And I don't know if, if this body track mat, I have a friend who owns one, but it's a mat that measures ground force, measures pressure, during a golfer's swing and we're learning a lot of really cool stuff on how our bodies move, especially long hitters, how their bodies move within the golf swing. So this uh, Dr. Seychelles McKenzie is really kind of hanging out in this place. He says something here that's pretty interesting. He talks about how the easiest way, the most bang for your buck in this article to get more swing speed would be just to increase your backswing by four inches which um, is interesting because he, lo- he it goes on to mention some of, some other golfers. He likes the homegrown swings. We all know that I'm not a big fan of those just because it's hard to be consistent. But uh, he talks about how these homegrown swings can produce more speed, and I will absolutely stipulate to that. A two-plane swing will always generate more pace in the golf swing. But at, at what cost, right? Consistency being the cost of picking up speed, Phil Mickelson believes that the further you hit it, the better it is. If you're playing long courses on the PGA Tour, perhaps. If you're playing my little home course here, being long isn't always the best thing, especially if you're also crooked. So anyway, some cool data there, some interesting points there. We will get into a discussion on the body track coming up very soon. I've been talking a lot with my buddy Elliot, who owns this body track, and then looking into some of the research. Really cool stuff out there on Justin Thomas, there is definitely a method to hitting the ball longer and there's definitely a way our bodies move to hit the ball longer that, uh, that gets it done more efficiently than any other way. So that's definitely fun to look at. I, I was interested though that, that Dr. McKenzie was talking about how if you increase your backswing, you can hit it further. In this example of talking about homegrown swings, he brings up one John Rom. And I would not say that John Rahm has a very long swing. He definitely has a two-plane swing. He definitely moves it uh, out there and picks up some space. but I don't know if you tell John Rom, hey, you need to take your back swing four inches further back if that works for John Rom, So interesting stuff. Definitely look at it and read through it. Uh, Dr. McKenzie does some uh, great work and looking forward to getting to know his work a little bit better, especially on the body track and figuring that out. So Very cool stuff to start with. And now for geekdom. Time to move in. So so usually on Data Mondays, we go through and we'll talk about uh, consistency numbers. The consistency number to me is essentially how many cuts they made. I think that that is a great indication on how well somebody's playing. If you're going in and you're making the cut, you're playing better. It's top 70 in ties, so you're playing better than a lot of the field. So that gives you a really good idea that these people are consistently pl- consistently playing good enough golf to get to the weekends. So that's kind of the number I've always used to measure somebody's consistency. And the question that came back was, hey, you always talk about the person who won, and you talk about Tiger Woods because he's led this category for ever, right, at 91%. So I, I went in and they said, hey, yeah, could you give us some numbers based on some other folks? So I thought, yeah, I can do that real quick. That's, that's easy to do. So I went and did that, started gathering it together. And as I did that, and I'll, I'll read some of these numbers off really quickly. I put them kind of in order. These aren't, these are just players that I think would generally be, we'd be interested in. Uh, Tiger Woods, obviously leading uh, everybody. And this is for a career, right? Tiger Woods makes the cut 91% of the time. He's played in 347 events, and he's made 317 cuts. So he's kind of the leader of the game. Next on the list, Rory McIlroy. He makes the cut at a pace of 86%, but he's played in 152 tournaments total. Phil Mickelson, we talked about a little bit yesterday. He makes the cut 84% of the time, and he's been in 598 events. So by far leading the list here. Tiger Woods is in second place at 347, right? So there's quite some disparity there. Brooks Koepka is on the list. He makes the cut 83% of the time for his career, as does Jordan Spieth, 83% of the time. Dustin Johnson, 82% of the time. He's played in 244 events. You've got Justin Rose, who makes the cut 81% of the time. This, This was interesting. Justin Rose has played in 326 events. Right. He is third on this list, which I can't uh, I figure Dustin Johnson had way more events than Justin Rose does. But that's not the case. So Justin Rose at 81 percent. He makes the cut 81 percent of the time. Ricky Fowler, 80 percent of the time. We talked about him recently. Justin Thomas, 79 percent of the time. Patrick Reed, 79 percent of the time. And then, well, I, you know, one, Bryson DeChambeau, he's somebody that I keep an eye on just because he's got so many interesting things to say about the golf swing and technology he uses and the data that he looks at. So, Bryson DeChambeau makes the cut 63% of the times. He's He's been in 75 events and he's made the cut 47 times. But that got me thinking, and this is the problem when I go to the stats page on the PGA Tour is I start looking around and running some numbers. And before I know it, an hour's gone and um, it's almost time to go home. So anyway, that's what happened again today. I lost all track of time, started messing with some of the numbers. So what I wanted to do is, because we know that Bryson DeChambeau has been playing a lot better as of late in 2018 for sure, towards the latter end for sure. So I wanted to then look at his 28 numbers specifically, his 2018 numbers specifically, and then also look at kind of what's going on Uh, For this year, 2019, as the case may be, 2019 numbers aren't very interesting. Pretty much everybody is going at 100%. They've made all their cuts, except two people. Phil Mickelson's missed one cut. Uh, He's played in four events and he's made three cuts. So he's at a 75% cut make percentage. But here's the one that kind of is concerning. That kind of jumped out a little bit. You've got Jordan Spieth, who makes the cut 83% of, of the time for his career, And he has been in five events so far in 2019 and only made three cuts at a 60% pace. So not so good for one Jordan Spieth in 2019. Kind of a slow start there for him in 2019. He got married. We all know that does to your life and your golf life. It can change it a little bit. So then let's jump back then and look at 2018. 2018 actually becomes very, very interesting and kind of see what the trends are. So Tiger Woods obviously played quite a few events in 2018. It was good to see him back. He played in 18 events, and he made 16 cuts for 89%. That's 2% less than his career average. Rory McIlroy, who we know was second on our list, he entered 18 events as well, same as Tiger Woods, but he only made 14 cuts for a total of 78%. That is eight points lower, eight percentage points lower than his career average so not trending in the right direction in 2018 for Rory McIlroy, making fewer cuts. We've got Phil Mickelson was actually up 4% over his career average at 88%. Brooks Kepka was up 5% over his career average in 2018, obviously with two majors there at 88%. Jordan Spieth uh, made 78% of his cuts in 2018. So he was 4% lower than his career average. So again, not try. Trending in the right direction. Now, here's some interesting ones. Dustin Johnson entered 20 events and made 19 cuts. He is 13% higher in 2018 than for his career average in making cuts. So trending very strong there. Justin Rose, same thing. 13% higher than his uh, career average. You've got Ricky Fowler, who was 5% higher in 2018. So trending well. Justin Thomas. 13% higher as well than his career average. So he made the cut at 91% in 2018. Uh, Patrick Reed, 2% less. He's making the cut at 77% in 2018. His career average is 79%. So not trending well there. But here you go. Bryson DeChambeau, this is kind of what drug me into this 2018 numbers anyway. He entered 26 events. He made 22 cuts for 85% in 2018, which is 22% higher than his career average. So definitely trending in a much better direction. So for 2018, the one who who made the most cuts in 2018 on this list, Dustin Johnson, 95% of the time he made the cut, followed closely by Justin Rose at 94%. And then in third place, Justin Thomas at 91%. I thought that was pretty fascinating. So definitely a lot of the guys that we knew were playing well that popped up, it proves it here, right? They're trending in the right direction. The only one that surprised me was really Dustin Johnson. I, I didn't think that he was playing any much better than he had, but he did you know, get to number one, obviously. And so, but he's kind of under the radar player anyway, right? He just always seems to play well, so we take him for granted. As I was looking at the stats, I used to get really bothered by, if you go to the pgatour.com's website and you go to the stats page, they literally have everybody listed on that page. Everybody. It's so bad that if you type in, like, if you search for Phil, right, 153 results come back. And yeah, it includes the Phillips and the Phil and all of that stuff. But 153 results because everybody who has ever played on the PGA Tour is still listed here. Everybody, right? If you put in Johnson, I mean, it's 143 results. So a lot of folks, I used to be bothered by that. But now it's so fun to go back and kind of look at the history of golf. And the way to do that is go back and pick a player that played really well, that was dominant way back in the day, and compare them to how things are going now. So just for fun, because Phil won yesterday, I went back and grabbed one of my favorite golfers growing up, and it was because he was my, my grandfather's favorite golf, golfer, Billy Casper. My grandfather followed Billy Casper's career like crazy. Uh, Billy Casper, because he was a local Utah guy, did a lot of local golf uh, outings and was at a lot of tournaments. And so we got to see a lot of Billy Casper. I remember some of my earliest memories memories were watching him on the range hit golf balls. And I was completely fascinated. I remember him um, doing a sort of a demonstration on the flop shot, which was really amazing. And we had this tree out on hole 18 up at Star Valley Ranch in Wyoming, we were up there and he kept uh, talking to this group saying, hey, how, how far away do you think I have to be to get a ball up over this tree? And he kept getting closer and closer and closer. It, he could throw the ball straight up in the air and go right over this tree and he would land it on the green. It was beautiful. It was fun to watch as a child. And then try to duplicate a flop shot after watching Billy Casper do it with, uh, with crazy bad equipment right? We're talking 30 years ago. Who am I kidding? We're talking 40 years ago. I'm 50, right? We're talking like 40, 40, 35 to 40 years ago. Flop shots that were straight up in the air and coming straight out of the sky and landing on the green. Really cool. So I went ahead and just pulled up some of his numbers. And I know that we always joke around the money side of it, but a a lot of folks don't know. Billy Casper won 51 tour events in his career. 51 I mean, he was, and it's not like he was playing against a bunch of jokers, right? He had Arnold Palmer and Gary Player and Jack Nicklaus, and he was going head-to-head with these guys and doing quite well, thank you very much. They actually talked about he just didn't kind of come along with them or otherwise it would have been instead of the big three, it would have been the big four because he was a very dominant and and good player. We pulled for him around here. Anyway, so I just pulled up his career money and his events and I just did a little division and kind of came out with some funny numbers here to kind of give us an idea. So Billy Casper over the course of his career made $1.691 million and had 51 victories. So per victory, you take all his prize money and divide by his number of victories, 51. He made on average per victory, $33,000, which we know the prize money was way lower than that, right? So he was doing quite well, $33,000 per victory. So Phil, over the course of his career, has earned over $90 million and he has won 44 times. And we talk about, that. that's kind of a cool comparison right there. We talk about how dominant and how amazing Phil has been and the longevity of his career. He's got 44 wins. Billy Casper had 51. And I think Billy Casper had worldwide 75 victories. So just an amazing player. So Phil has over $90 million in, in winnings in 44 tournaments. So he, he averaged per victory, if you take all of his earnings, $2 million which, I mean, he made $1.3 for his last last victory. So $2 million per victory is his average, where Billy Casper's is $33,000 per victory. And I just kind of looked up for fun to kind of look where that $33,000 would fit. At the Pebble Beach Pro-Am payout, uh, $33,000 was right in between 39th and 40th place. I realize it's different. It's a different era and different money and all that, but I think it's fun to kind of put that into perspective. And look at it that way. So it's a great time to play professional golf. Let's just say that. Billy Casper would be doing far better than he is now, right? If you take that 2 million of Phil Mickelson and you times it by 51, we're talking over $100 million. So just saying, just saying. Anyway, it's just some fun geekdom numbers. I love the numbers. I love looking at the stats. I love hanging out and figuring out things based on numbers and based on data. And hopefully... You will too, especially when it comes to your own swing. So thanks for listening. Better data always means better golf. Till next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Data Access Golf with Aaron Stewart. Check us out online at dataaccessgolf.com and we'll see you on the next episode.